0: All right, we're so glad you're here. God bless you for being here. Um, I have been over the last four or five weeks touching on a subject and from the phone calls that I've gotten from the emails, just from people coming and talking to me, I really feel like I've I've struck a chord here. You know, it's struck a chord in my life and it's trying to trying to accept God the Father for who he really is. We first started this, when I first started this four or five weeks ago, I ask you to do something, and I ask you to take all the images that you have of your father or Father God and press the delete button and start all over because there's so many things in our life, whether it's growing up at school, whether it's our household, whether it's TV, and we talked about Homer Simpson and all these messed up views of Father Al Bundy, uh, even leave it to Beaver. you know, don't we wish? that things would start off great, and we'd have a little bit of a hiccup midway, 15 minutes into our life, and then by the end, everything's fine again. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not reality. And how if your image of God is messed up, then your whole walk with God, your whole walk on this earth is going to be messed up. And we've seen over the last few weeks how our earthly father has an impact of how we see God the Father. And so many of us have grown up without a, a good relationship with our earthly father. And as we've been walking through this, so many have come up to me and said, you know, this is just this is just right where I am. And uh, I want to encourage you, you're not alone. But to end this series, I started praying about how to end it. I, I never felt like I could get a release to end it. and The Lord started showing me, you know, it says in Revelation 12, that Satan is, we've overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. And you know what? We sing about the blood. We believe in the blood, but sometimes we need the testimony. And I have asked a a good, good friend of mine, someone that I'm, I I just love him and his wife and their family so much. I've asked them, he's been teaching us Sunday school for about ever since I've been pastor. But even before that, he's been a part of Sunday school and in teaching and in pouring out into you. And I've just asked him, through his relationship with his father to come up and share this morning. So would you please welcome Brother Burton Putman?
1: Mon good morning. Well I think we're I think we're blessed. Now some of you may disagree, but Valentine's Day and snow. Could it get any better? Could it get any more romantic, gentlemen? You need to get home and uh, do something about that, (laughs) if you've not already. Lord, I just thank you for anointing this time and, and blessing this time. I just thank you that your presence, you are here with us. Lord, I just pray that it will not be my words, but it will be your words, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you would like each of us to take with us today. And I thank you, Father, that you love me. I love you. You're a wonderful father. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. I want to start by sharing with you about four of my my favorite scriptures, and these are the ones that are going to relate uh, more closely to um, fathers and, and the fatherless than, than the other ones. Uh, the first one, most of you are going to know, it's probably one of your favorites as well. It's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Another is Psalm 68, 5, because it describes uh, our heavenly father as a father to the fatherless. I also love Psalm ten fourteen. Because it says that the Lord is the helper of the fatherless. And I don't know about you, but I need a helper. And finally, Psalm 82, three, because it confirms for me that it is okay that I pray that God will defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. I am weak and I consider myself, unfortunately, to be fatherless as well. Now, I love being a father. I consider my two children not only my most precious blessings, but also my greatest accomplishments. Fatherhood is my most challenging yet rewarding responsibility. I'm sure you would agree with that. I think constantly about both of my children. Good thoughts, not bad. I pray for my children without ceasing. Every day I pray for peace in their lives and protection from all evil. They're gone and don't live at home anymore and live in another city. And I I have to trust that the Lord is taking care of them. And I use the 91st Psalm when I pray that no evil would befall them, that no plague, pestilence or calamity would come nigh where they dwell. I also hope for my children. I dream for them too. When they rejoice, I rejoice with them. When they hurt, I think I hurt even more. I also try and help them whenever and wherever I'm called upon. And I'm sure as they, get, you're going to experience this, if you've never had teenagers or 20-something-year-old children, sometimes you're not going to want to drop everything and go help, but you're going to have to. They're your children. And you have that responsibility. And I most certainly defend my children, no matter the situation even when they make mistakes, which they do. Correction will, of course, come first as their father, but I still defend them because they're my children. I believe that if Kate and Will were able to be here this morning, uh, they would confirm that their dad's loyalty to them is unwavering. And in my opinion, every child deserves this kind of unconditional love from their father. But unfortunately, this is not always the case. In a couple of weeks, I will once again face the anniversary of my mother's sudden and very tragic death. uh, When the anniversary of her death rolls around March the 1st. For any of you that know me well you know that as a five-year-old little boy, I lost my mother in an automobile accident. My two sisters and I were also in the car at the time of the accident. The sister closest to me, behind me, I'm the oldest, the one closest to me uh, was two and a half, and my youngest sister had just celebrated her first birthday. Now, the sister right behind me, the two-and-a-half-year-old, suffered what the doctors believed to be irreversible brain damage. And, we, and my family was told that she would pass away before my mother did, whose injuries were so extensive that there was no hope at that time. Um, but the Lord had something else in mind for my sister, and he performed a miracle. And today, she is a very much alive 43 year old wife and mother and school teacher in, in Murfreesboro. And she's one of those take charge women. Like I know several of you in this auditorium, I'm not going to call any names. I'm not looking at anybody's face right now, but you know I'm talking about you. Those take charge women. This particular sister tells everybody in the family what to do. My youngest sister had just celebrated, as I said, her first birthday when the wreck occurred. All of the broken glass from the accident because she was up higher and in her car seat beside my mother on the front seat. All of the broken glass landed on her face. And as such a young baby, it was, and I saw her. She was across the hall, kept in the nursery in the hospital from where I was. Uh, Her face was just mangled blood and and, um, torn flesh and just hundreds of stitches for several weeks. But the Lord performed a um, a miracle with that sister as well. She doesn't live as close to me. She's about nine hours away, but she also is a wonderful wife and mother, and she knows the Lord and lives for him. And the Lord healed her face, and and now she is the prettiest one of all of us. My father was at work and not with us during the accident. It was during the day, and my mom was taking us to a regular pediatrician's appointment in Nashville where we were raised. But as you can imagine, my dad's world very quickly fell apart. He lost his wife. And he was told he would lose one of his children. And his other two children were injured and and beaten up and needed lots of treatment, time and attention. Sadly, my dad was emotionally incapable of being the father that my sisters and I needed him so desperately to be. And even more sad is that he has never fully recovered 41 years later. Years of uh, mental illness, problems with alcohol, and numerous broken relationships followed for my father. Sometimes as much as a year would go, go by before I would even see him. My dad remarried two months to the day after my mother was buried and shortly after left my sisters and I with my stepmother to be raised. My father didn't attend ball games or school functions. And he wasn't there for things like prom pictures, important days in the lives of young people. He didn't know if I was happy or sad on any particular day of my life. I'd like to be able to tell you that when I grew older and left home, things got better for my dad and for the rest of us. But I can't do that. Both of my father's parents, my grandparents, who were extremely important in my life, died without my father speaking to them. My father still has one brother, my uncle, who lives in Atlanta with his family, uh, who I'm very close to, knows my family very well. But my father and his brother have had no relationship in many years. In fact, still today, my dad has no real relationship with any of his three children or now seven grandchildren. Now, I'm not here this morning to berate... Or judge my father. That is not my job. I just want you to understand. That my dad. And my sisters and I. Still suffer. And still experience the same problems that we did. That began when I was five years old. Time has not changed anything. My dad has allowed unforgiveness to rule his life. Unforgiveness toward everyone. Including God. Unforgiveness is his banner. Unforgiveness destroys lives. Destroys relationships. If this story sounds anything like your own, now you know you're not alone. Now you know that there's nothing wrong with just you. Growing up, I felt like it was just me that all these crazy things kept happening to And that no one else could possibly understand how I felt. I spent most nights of my childhood in my basement bedroom, isolated from everyone else who were upstairs. Either crying myself to sleep or so angry that I looked for something or someone to take my rage out on. also felt guilty because I hated Father's Day. Everyone else always seemed to be so happy on that day. I really couldn't enjoy Mother's Day, but then Father's Day would roll around a few weeks later. My cousins on both sides had their fathers. My friends had theirs too. I always felt like I was standing outside one of those large picture windows, looking on the inside at everyone else having a good time on Father's Day. Now, of course, I love spending time with my own children on that day, They make me feel very special on that day and every day. But even though I have them and I'll have grandchildren one day, as long as my father is alive, I suppose something will seem like it's missing. Even though I'll turn 47 later this year on that day, a part of me still feels like I'm five. Now, if you have a wonderful earthly father, Praise God. I believe that is a blessing that you should never take for granted. I believe that you should thank the Lord continuously for such a positive relationship with your father. In fact, I admire any of you that maintain that type of relationship. However, if you were abandoned by your father or if you in some way feel fatherless this morning, that's okay too. And I have great news for you. You may not have an earthly father that's with you this morning that you would like to be with, but you do have a heavenly father. And so do I. Our heavenly father thinks that you and me are special too. He created you and me with a plan and purpose in mind, just like he did anybody that grew up with a great dad. Your name and my name are engraved in the palm of his hand, just like theirs is. There's room at the cross for you, thank the Lord, and for me, just like there is for them. He thinks about you constantly, just like he thinks about me constantly. I believe that the word assures us in many, many different ways and places that with every problem, there is a corresponding promise. If He is for us, what does it really matter who's against us? The Lord gave me life knowing all along the suffering, the rejection, and the hurt. That I would endure at the hands of someone that is supposed to love me unconditionally. He let me be born anyway. Knowing all of that. He really must. Have great plans for me. He really must. Intend to prosper me and to bring me. To an expected end. Just like Jeremiah said. And you know it's the same for you. No matter your history, no matter who's hurt you, and it may not be your father. You, have made, you may have had a wonderful earthly father. And that's, again, that's wonderful. My children do. Amen? <laughs> but you could be struggling with some other hurt, some other relationship, someone else that broke your heart, someone else that was supposed to have loved you but didn't. No matter the hurt, no matter the history, Our Lord's plans for you and me far outweigh all of that bad stuff. He gave you life just like he gave me life. Knowing every bad thing that you are going to have to go through, he still lets you be born. He must have some great plans for you too. Something only you can accomplish for him. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, what's the trick? What's the secret? How does how do I appear so hopeful and encouraged when you have just heard what I went through and really what I continue to endure on a daily basis? Well, it's not always been like this. It's taken a few years to get to this point. I couldn't have stood up here and told this story or written this story or even thought about these words several years ago. Because I didn't feel loved. I looked for love in all the wrong places. For many, many years. I was angry at God for a long, long time. I may not have verbalized that. You may not have known that. The people around me at that time. But trust me, it was in there. And he knew it. I questioned him. I doubted him. And I think the thing that was most obvious about me now, looking back, is I protected myself from new hurts by not allowing anyone to get too close. I believed that I could control who would or would not hurt me in the future by keeping all relationships at arm's length. Trust me, that is no way to live this life, and it is not a part of our Heavenly Father's plan for you or me. In Sunday school, Cindy and I have have been blessed to teach Sunday school in this class for a long, long time. And it's ever-changing, it's ever-evolving, and faces are new, and people get trained to serve, and they leave us, and we just rejoice, and then we get new faces to replace them. And it's it's just been probably one of the best things that I've ever done for the Lord. But in Sunday school, we recently had a 17-week study called Getting Out of the Pit. And we recently learned that the definition of a pit for us believers is an early grave that Satan digs for you in hopes of burying you alive. I'm going to say that one more time and hopefully you'll take it home with you. A pit is an early grave that Satan digs for you in hopes of burying you alive. Now, pits can be different things to different people. Pits can be addictions. Those are sometimes the most obvious to to pick out. And you know the different things. You know, drugs and alcohol and sex and and cigarettes and overeating, undereating. The the possibility we could be here all day uh, talking about the different addictions. Pits can also involve anger, unforgiveness, hatred, and resentment. Some people feel right at home in pits of piety or religion. When they reach a certain place and they think they've, you know, outran the troubles that the rest of us face. Only you and God know which of those pits or some other one that you prefer. Only I know, only God and I know. And maybe sometimes my Valentine knows, probably the the most obvious ones. Um, But that's between he and I. We also learned in our study that there are three ways of ending up in those pits. Number one, you can be pushed in by someone that's supposed to love you unconditionally. Number two, you can slip in by hanging out too close to the pit that you know is a danger for you, but it just feels a little bit more secure to get close to it. You don't intend on going in, but you like to dance around the edge. Watch your step. Thirdly, and probably most prevalent in my life, is just jumping in with both feet. Doing what you want to do. You know, you know you shouldn't, but you do it anyway. This morning, I'll admit to you that you're looking not only at a former pit dweller, but also a pit jumper. Oh, yes, I was pushed in more times than I deserved, but I also slipped in on occasion by hanging out too close to the edge. But really, again, like I said, the one that was most prevalent for me was just doing it with both feet, just jumping in. But, you know, one day I decided I was tired of pit dwelling. When you're in a pit, you can't stand up. You're all mired up. You start to sink. And possibly worst of all, when you're in a pit, you begin to lose your vision. And the word tells us that when a people lose their vision, say it with me, they perish. I decided I didn't want to perish. But I felt like there were pieces of me that were already perishing. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. It's also lonely down there in those pits. And as much as I tried to say that I didn't need anybody and I was totally independent and, you know, stay this far away and don't get close. I did need someone. Someone to walk this life with. I I needed children to love me unconditionally so that I could love them as well unconditionally. I needed a whole lot more than what I thought I needed. And I didn't want to be alone anymore. So the Lord revealed to me years ago, I still don't like the word. I don't like it when Pastor Paul teaches about the word. (laughs) I don't like it when he talks about it on Father's Day even, even though I'm telling you the same thing this morning. He knows that. We've talked in depth about that. Getting out of the pit for me and for you is going to begin with one thing. Forgiveness. Bottom line. I don't care who it is. I don't care what the hurt has been. You can either choose to forgive and get on with it. Or be let unforgiveness be your banner. And let the same thing keep happening to you over and over and over again for a long time i chose the latter today i have to make make a conscious effort every day to forgive someone don't you someone's gonna make you mad cut you off not show up when they said they were going to show up that's a big one for me by the way if you want to if you want to get close to me show do what you say you're going to do i'm just kidding i'm really not just kidding <laughs> amen to those that know me um Even if they're still hurting us, we must be like Joseph in with his brothers in the 50th chapter of Genesis when he said, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. No matter the hurt, no matter the relationship, you must forgive. Now, maybe you're like me and grew up being taught that forgiveness was a sign of weakness. How many times did you hear, well, I can forgive them, but I will never be able to forget. Anybody else? The word forgive, according to Daniel Webster, means to pardon. To absolve. To give up resentment of. I like this one. To grant relief from if we've not forgotten then we've not forgiven. Proverbs 17:9 says, he that covers or forgives a transgression seeks love. Forgiveness begins with love. Jesus is love. If Jesus is your lord, you love like him and therefore should be more inclined and ready to forgive. Matthew six, fourteen through fifteen says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. It's pretty clear. Now my dad actually believes that he has done nothing, absolutely nothing, to anyone. Is in his entire 70 years. Nothing that he needs to be forgiven for. How do you possibly forgive someone in your life. That believes that way. Well there are three ways that have worked for me. Number one. You've got to forgive the person in your heart. Even if you don't have the opportunity to forgive them with your mouth. They won't let you. Close enough to forgive them with your mouth. But the Lord knows what's in your heart. And every day I have to start the day deciding that in my heart. Today I'm going to forgive. Not just with my dad. With anyone that I feel like has not treated me the way that I deserve to be treated. I don't know any other way to say it. Does anybody else feel that way? It's okay to feel that way. This probably won't be a one-time forgiveness event for you either. It isn't for me. As you heard me say earlier, I've been doing this for a long time. Should have been doing it for 41 years, but didn't know, the, didn't know how to do it. Every time those old memories creep back in your head, you have to forgive in your heart all over again. Preparing for today, Satan wanted to destroy my testimony by bringing up all those old, horrible, ugly memories that I have neatly packed away in the trunk in my mind that I only open up and share with people that I choose to share them with. This time, I had no choice. Satan tried to have a field day. He is described as the accuser in the word, and he was accusing all over the place. He was accusing me, my dad, my stepmom, whoever, you know, I had to forgive my dad again and again in my heart several times just over the course of my preparation for today. The second way that has worked for me is that I tell God out loud that I forgive the person that has hurt, hurt me. Maybe you can't actually tell the person. I can't tell my dad right now for reasons that I don't even need to go into. Maybe they won't let you. Maybe the person that you've not forgiven has already passed away. That's possible, you know. Or maybe you can't locate. You don't know where the person is from years ago that hurt you. Whatever the case, God knows. And you're his child. Keep forgiving out loud until it takes. It might take years. But I promise the more you do it, the better you'll feel. Matthew eighteen twenty one through 22 says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Seven times Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee seven times, but seventy times seven times. That's a lot of times, isn't it? This scripture can tell us a lot of things at a lot of different times in our lives. But for today, I think Jesus is telling us and warning us that the people that should love us unconditionally, the ones that are supposed to be closest to us, are going to hurt us. And are going to disappoint us multiple times throughout the course of our lives. Over and over again. Repeated hurt requires repeated forgiveness the third and final way, and probably my favorite way, that the Lord has helped me forgive my dad is when I use Jesus' example and I pray. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, forgive my dad. He just doesn't get it yet. He just can't see it yet. I cannot change him, but I know you can. Forgive him, Lord. Remember, forgiveness is not for the person who, Who caused the pain. Forgiveness is a gift from God. To heal the person that was hurt. That you and me. Oh yeah. And I don't care what you were taught growing up. Forgiveness is not a sign of weakness. Forgiveness is a catalyst for power. For your growth. And in your relationship with the Lord. One great thought that I'd like to take with you that I'd like for you to take with you today is if God brought you to it, he will bring you through it. No matter the it. No matter the hurt, no matter the relationship. Man, no man, no man can thwart or change or alter God's plan for you. Now when we were having our study about the pit. We kind of had our, our power verse, our power scriptures, uh, the ones that we, we start we read it at the beginning, we studied it and came to know it throughout the 17 weeks. And at the end, it was our success scripture. And it's in the 40th chapter of Psalm. I encourage you if you don't write anything else down, write this site down and go back and spend some time with the Lord in this scripture. Psalm 40 verses one through three. I waited patiently. For the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear And put their trust in the Lord. This thing called life is a journey. It's a process. I believe that relationships are a vital part of that process. I believe that forgiveness within those relationships even takes that process a step further. Another level, if you will. Three levels of process for you. We must learn to take our eyes off the hurts of what we've gone through and fix them instead on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. I sang a song here several years ago, right here, um, called The Prodigal's Dad. It was probably one of the most... My most favorite songs that I got to sing, not because of me or anything I could do, but the words, the the words that the writer gave me to share. There's a line in that song where the prodigal's dad references returning to the rooftop each day to pray that his son would return home. He didn't go once and pray. He went each day. Every day. Until his son came home. That's what we've got to do. Wherever the hurt is. Whoever the hurt is. Wherever they are. If you know where they are. If they're not here. Whatever it is. You've got to go each day. And talk to your heavenly father. About the situation. And let him bring to pass what he chooses to bring to pass. I covet your continued prayers for for me and my dad. Um, my dad, like I said, will be 70 this year and, um, he is remarried again and lives in Florida and, um, uh, his name is Lee. And anytime that, that you, that the Lord puts that name on your mind, I wish you would remember that that's my dad and that he needs your prayer. Um, I will continue to go to my own rooftop for him, not just him, but the other people in my life. I encourage you to do the same. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to sh- to share my story a second time. It was it was easier the second time. The pastor told me he thought it might be harder the second time. It was easier the second time. Um but I believe not just for me and for my family but for each one that's here today with our God nothing is impossible. No relationship is beyond Healing beyond restoration. Uh, There's always time. I I believe that. There's always time. And I believe that for you. Thank you for your attention. I'd like to give a shout out to my dear friends who who don't call this their church home. But came out on this snowy day to support me. It's nice to know that they love me. And um, uh, you guys uh, make me proud that you're my church family. And I thank you for, again, the opportunity to tell my story. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you.
0: Amen. Well, I encourage you to encourage Burton. That took a lot to do. And... Uh, if I can, just as we close this series, um, we started talking last week about how to become a part of the family of God. And, you know, I'm not trying to I don't think it's incorrect to go ahead and go down a salvation message, salvation message right now. But I do want to encourage you from last week. I said that the only way to the Lord, can you bring my thing up? Not there been talking about, is God a good father? But you know, you may have been, you may have a natural father here on earth that you don't know, or that has been so difficult, but you know, it takes more than just a seed to be a father. It takes a relationship. Some of you have been born into a relationship with a father that you've never met. They're your father by creation, but they're not your father by relationship, and you miss that. It says in John 14, verse 6, that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. There is no other way to this father that Burton has been talking about this morning except through Jesus except through a relationship with Jesus. It's the only way. But then it goes on to say in in John 1, to those who believed on him and received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And as we've started this series, I know that I could ask you, church family, that is God a good father? Yeah, he's a good father. Is he your provider? Yeah, he's my provider. But we don't walk it out. We don't live a life that reflects a God that loves us. And it says here, to those who believed on him, but also those who received. And it's funny, the second time as Burton shared that, the Lord really started speaking to me. And he gave gave three steps, but I'm just going to go to the first two that he shared. He talked about forgiving from your heart. And, you know, some of you today believe in Jesus. You've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've not received the gift of forgiveness. We hang on to this hurt And we're the ones that hurt. But what he talked about was starting with your heart. You know, Scripture says, you do everything right with your mouth. But your heart's not with me. And what I caught so much from him and how this lines up with Scripture is that he started in his heart. And then he confessed with his mouth. Even though his natural father doesn't want to hear it. He's talking to his heavenly Father. And starting with his heart. To those who believed and received Church Burton had to make a choice. And you know what with forgiveness it's not an emotion. If you wait for an emotion you won't get it. It's a decision. And you know the person that's getting hurt because of your unforgiveness is not the person who's hurt you. It's you. What a great word he shared is that forgiveness is for the hurt. It's the for the ones that's been hurt. It's time to make a choice it's time to make a choice. Even though you've been brought up with this hurtful relationship, whether it's your father or your stepfather, maybe it's your mother or your grandparents, and you've allowed that hurt to continue. You know, I once read a scientific study that studied the 50 most uh, famous atheists in the world, Sigmund Freud and others, and they all had one thing in common. They hated their father. This barrier between your earthly father and your heavenly father is real. And it's something that I encourage you today, even if you don't feel like it, dig down deep in your heart and make a decision to forgive. It's not for your father's, your earthly father's benefit. It's for your benefit. No one has to walk around with that hurt. God did not send his son to die on a cross so that you would walk around for your whole life to hurt. It was not God's intention for Burton to hurt for 41 years. But praise God, you know, it says by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, let me tell you something. Somebody's going to get free today. Somebody's getting free today. And I encourage you, let it be you. In a moment when I open up the altar, I encourage you to to go to the Father. The Father who already knows your hurt. He already knows it. He just wants you to choose him. He just wants you to choose him. Would you choose him today? Albert Einstein said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And expecting different results. Church, I encourage you. Change today. Change today. My God is a good father. And he is someone that you can come to in safety. It, word, scripture says that he is our very present help in time of need.